he was trying to touch me and I was so shocked because I didn't get this vibe from him prior to then. And then I said to him, I was, I was shocked. I was worried at what was going on. And he said, I should go ask other bankers what they're doing to get the money. This is She Thrives, a safety in the workplace podcast brought to you by African Women on Board, AWB. The podcast is an important part of AWB's Violence Against Women in the Workplace Initiative and is funded in part by Ford Foundation. My name is Omoye Uzamire and I will be hosting this series of insightful conversations. On this podcast series, we will encounter the real-life experiences of women in various endeavors and fields of work as well as have conversations with industry leaders on the ways to make the workplace safer for women. Our first guest on today's episode is a banker whose name will not be disclosed, but whose experience we will all get to share in. Here is her story. Hi, I have experienced violence in the workplace. Here's my story. I worked in the bank for six years. I started off in operations and then I moved, I was moved to marketing. As a marketer, my main role is to bring in funds into the bank, mobilize deposits. I was in um, SME and retail banking. So I had to bring in a lot of money from, you know, individual clients and from SMEs. This time I had identified um, an SME I did my research and I, I knew that that man had the capacity to bring in the money I needed. And so I approached him. He agreed to open an account. In fact, he gave me the documentation I needed. He signed up the account package. And I was at the stage where the account was already open and needed to be funded. And so I reached out to him and he said to come collect a check from him. And so I went there and when I got there, he was trying to touch me. And I was so shocked because I didn't get this vibe from him prior to then. And then I said to him, I was, I was shocked. I was worried at what was going on. And he said, I should go ask other bankers what they're doing to get the money. And if I wasn't ready to give him what he wanted, which was sex, that I should leave. I'm just happy I was able to leave the hotel in one piece. I got back to the office and narrated the experience to my boss, who didn't quite take it how I thought she would. No one cares the process. What matters is the result which is bringing in the money. Besides, I had told my boss the money was coming in and she also had told her boss that the money was coming in. And because it didn't come in, I was shouted at, I got a warning. It made me feel so terrible. I started to shy away from male clients. I was, at a point I was getting overwhelmed with these advances and these customers that would always try to 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 sleep with you to get 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 money for us to warehouse their funds this is just one of my experiences also on the show we have two women of timber and caliber mahogany and oak <laughs> well let me go straight ahead to introduce Uche Ofodile, a senior leader in the telecom space, a champion of women and CEO MTN Benin Republic. We also have Nicolette Nelo, International Program Director, Gender, Racial and Ethnic Justice, Regional Director Office for Southern Africa at Ford Foundation. 
Nicolette is a women's rights lawyer and has had a long history working in the area of women's rights. These two ladies will join us today on the podcast to discuss violence against women in professional spaces. So in this instance, ladies and gentlemen, workplace violence was in the advances, the sexual advances and harassment of the client and in the non-protection by her organization. And I think that because of the prevalence of workplace violence against women, we as a people have become so desensitized, you know, by systems, by institutions that are there meant to protect us and by cultures and practices. It's so much so that things which should be abominable, which should be frowned at, are now shrugged off and considered as normal. I have a question for Nicolette Nalo. What kinds of policies should corporate industries and financial institutions implement and enforce in order to protect women from such situations? Thanks, that's a great question. I think first and foremost, an employer has a duty to ensure that all staff and all employees are working in a safe environment where their dignity is protected, where their rights are protected. You don't go to work to be shot at. So why should we accept that you can go to work and have, you don't go to work and expect to be mugged. If you were mugged at work, the employer would take action. So we have to contextualize sexual harassment as a form of violence against women. And it's not tolerated if men are behaving in a violent way in the workplace, action is taken by the employer to ensure the safety of employees. So the double standard around how we treat something because it's of a sexual nature, um, I think is problematic because employers need to see it as a duty of protection And I think employers have to move away from sexualizing it to treating it as an issue of power because it's about power and it's about exerting power over women in the workplace that that renders this, this environment. The other point I'd make is that employers often think that sometimes when employers do act, they treat it as we need to just deal with the perpetrator. So let's deal with the perpetrator or let's treat this as this is an external person. She went to go see a client. So it's got nothing to do with us. We wash our hands, go to the police, report it to the police. But actually, you have a duty to make sure the culture, the environment that your women are working in is safe. So whether you are a journalist, whether you have to go out into the world as a sales rep, There is a duty on your employer to ensure that you are safe and whatever happens to you while you out on on your work duty, the employer should be liable for. And I think those that standard setting in the legal framework, we need to be much clearer about the duties of employers much more broadly. And we have to be clear about the duties of the state, because I think the state needs to pass these laws ratify international standards for for employers and then make sure that you're actually acting in accordance to that so that a case like this doesn't happen the way it's just played out and i think we shouldn't just think this is an individual employer situation this is a systemic problem and this is unfortunately a very common response by employers yes yes i'd like to ask you uche ofodile what is the role that corporate leadership can play in these situations where systems are built which put women in tight corners put them in uncomfortable positions like these where they're you know 
forced to meet a target at their own expense, for example, you know, where unusual demands are made of them in exchange for things that should be achieved on merit. So I think if you ask most companies today, they would say to you that we actually have a structure in place. They will refer you to their policy and they have a policy that clearly states no one should be sexually harassed and everyone should feel safe in the, in the workplace. Uh, they will refer you to their whistleblower line as well, uh, which, you know, is available for everyone to sort of call if there's an incident. But I think it's a step further and it really comes down to the tone at the top. You know, what I've seen and my experience is that, you know, who is leading that organization? And, and this is not right, by the way, I'm just explaining what's currently, what I've currently seen. Who is leading that organization will determine how seriously this is pushed in terms of protection of employees from this kind of behavior. Yeah. And we, we, we have a lot of work to do in terms of making the CEOs in addition to all the policies that have been put in place and the whistleblower lines and all the infrastructure, understanding the role that they have to play in ensuring that the culture, because ultimately the responsibility of the culture comes down to the CEO of that organization. I, I will say this openly. True. What that organization is like culturally comes down to tone at the top. So we can have all these policies in place. But if at the top, there's a blind eye turned to all of this behavior, guess what? The policies don't mean anything. If at the tone of the top, you know, uh, there's no accountability for this kind of behavior, guess what? People will not use the whistleblower line. So there is a need for us as, you know, and I'm speaking as a CEO, to step forward and say, you know, this is not acceptable. And I like to use the word zero tolerance so that everyone understands that that's the standard. It's not one incident, it's no incidents. Mm -hmm. um, I had an incident, um, I'll just share a very quick story. I had an incident in, in a company uh, that I worked in where there was an, an incident of, of, uh, of sexual harassment. And what we ended up doing, uh, because after this, you know, situation happened and we now went back, right, to, to speak to employees and to women to understand what the culture was, because perhaps we didn't see that. And we realized that actually, you know what, we need to educate our employees. We need to remind them what the policy says. And we went through that process. We went through that process of going to every department, showing them videos. What does sexual harassment look like? And you may think that that sounds like everyone should know, but you know, the difference between someone saying something to you and touching you, most people will think of sexual harassment as, you know, physically trying to do something. But the fact that we showed videos of a boss saying, you know, oh my God, your skirt is really short. I really like that. Most guys hadn't really thought, and women, by the way, hadn't even thought that that was a form of sexual harassment. So we went through this process of educating the employees, and then we educated them on the policy, and then we explained to them, zero tolerance, zero tolerance. And it, it took me saying to the guys like, hey, you know, how would you feel if you were walking down the street? And I was like, hey, look at you in those tight jeans. And they said, you know, I would feel really uncomfortable. Exactly. <laughs> this is what we don't want you to do. And, you know, 
I believe in the power of stories as a, as a leader, and that was one of the ways in which we were able to really drive change within the organization. So they understood zero tolerance. Everyone was aligned and clear about the policy, mm-hmm. and you know that was able. That was what we were able to do to shift the culture. So. All of the things that you've mentioned, whistleblower line, the policies, clear accountability, but ultimately the tone at the top is is very important. Thank you so much, so, so much. So now back to Ms. Nalo, there are um, there are a lot of instances as we've observed and we've, um, we've, we've spoken about how there's so many instances of sexual harassment and violence in the workplace that women face, but very, very rarely do they get reported what do you think some of the reasons are that most cases of even overt violence, you know, isn't reported in corporate organizations? Thank you. I think the reason is the response that women get. If the, if the environment, we disbelieve women. Our starting point and management starting point is often to disbelieve and puts women on the defensive. And the cost to, to women, women often lose their jobs. Most of the cases I've dealt with or seen or heard about, the woman makes a complaint. And soon after that, if it's a manager that she's complaining against, issues of her performance will come up. Oh, she's not a team player. She's difficult. She hasn't been delivering on her tasks. And a complete disregard for the trauma, the psychological trauma that a woman goes through every day if she comes to work and a manager is is harassing her. And often that does impact on performance. Um, And so the way we, the management structure within an organization can end up being very punitive to a woman who comes forward Um, or if she's been absent from work, because often women will take time off work, they'll dread going to work, they will, you know, and they'll start getting disciplined for being absent. They'll be disciplined for not delivering on a project or not wanting to attend a meeting with a certain manager. And this is how we navigate the space where we say, I'm not going to lodge a complaint. Let me just avoid the person. Um, Because women look at what happens when other women lodge complaints. And if they see soon after that, the woman resigns and the perpetrator is still the star, um, in the organization, then women choose to remain silent and they start looking for other employment and they leave. And then they speak once they've left the employment. We have to acknowledge the economic dependence and women's economic vulnerability in society. No one can afford to just resign from a job. And so do I lodge a complaint? Do I just resign from the employment? Um, is often the the, the difficult thing that women have to sit with. And so I really want to call out Uche, that is amazing in terms of leadership. The political leadership and the commitment to this issue at CEO level is so critical because it's a game changer. It's a game changer for culture. It's a game changer for taking this seriously. And we found in our own organization, since our president spoke out about this, created a hotline, we have the video as well, and we make people take a test every year, and you're not allowed to fail the test. So it's ask questions, is this harassment, is this racism, is this um, sexism? And if you fail the test, your manager, you have to re-go the training. You have to keep undergoing the training, and every year we refresh the training. And then we rolled out the policy, uh, policy of no tolerance as well and created an anonymous hotline recognizing that women are often scared to come forward and and lodge complaints. 
That has been a game changer in our own institution because before, we, if, if management isn't disciplining people and you're not seeing perpetrators held accountable, women withdraw or leave the place of employment. And you have, I've worked in legal spaces, um, in law firms, where all the younger women will know who's the harasser, who you shouldn't go in the car with, who you shouldn't go for drinks with. There's an unspoken code and we protect each other and tell each other but no one feels comfortable enough to go to management and say, this is what happens. I think in my early days as a lawyer, if I had a CEO like you, Uche, I'd be able to go and say, this is what's happening and feel like it's a safe space. We have to create more safe spaces for women at senior management level because the CEO dictates how HR deals with an issue. And if HR is weakened, often HR is very weak in big corporate entities. And if it's a senior manager that's being um, accused of something, HR is often doesn't have the power. And so we need to make sure that HR is empowered, women are empowered, and that everyone is accountable in the workplace. I think the issue of we see more and more what I call malicious compliance, where people have a formal policy in place, a formal sexual harassment policy that they hide behind. And they say, we have a policy, we told you about the policy, it's not our responsibility anymore. And so people are hiding behind formal legal policies and not doing the hard work around culture. And so I think we need the formal legal policies, but we must be very careful of just saying there's a policy in place. And often that formal policy could just result in a warning or let's just mediate the problem and women don't get healing and women don't get justice as a result. It's a way of, it's been used as a way to sweep things under the carpet. And so I think constantly revisiting whether our policies are speaking to preventing violence before it starts or whether our policies are just focusing on let's give someone a warning, second warning, dismissal, a punitive structure versus a transformative, preventative structure, I think is important for all employers to start thinking in that way. Awesome. Now I have one final question, and this is for you, Uche. In the case of our primary guest, where she talked about how her company reacted to her, how can corporate organizations create sanctions, you know, against the client, for example, this is a bank, that's seeking to you know do business and make a profit and our client has harassed one of their staff how would how would you suggest the company the bank in particular deal with such a client i mean i think let's start with we can't we cannot accept profit at all costs right uh, i think we we have to that that's got to be the starting statement in this conversation and that sometimes we're prepared to walk away from clients that don't work in the manner that we expect them to. For example, every year we at MTN, we meet with our various vendors and we tell them that we have policies around bribery and corruption and they're expected to sign those policies, right? And we say, if you uh, try to bribe an employee or if you accept a bribe from an employee or whatever, uh, you'll be blacklisted. We have no problem saying things like that. Why, why would that not be the same conversation 
in this particular instance as well. I think it ties back to what Nicolette said earlier, which is, you know, we have policies in place to deal with all kinds of situations. If someone were to be violent towards you in the in the workplace, they would be, I mean violent, like having a fight, you know, there'd be no sort of like discussion, the person would be terminated, no questions asked. So how do we, 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 so we can do it. We know what to do, actually. How do we move these same conversations into the conversation around sexual harassment? And I think, again, for lots of for, for loads of corporations, I think that they're just seeing these conversations as separate. Actually, no, they're one and the same. If you are talking about the safety of the organization and safety of the employees and you want to protect your organization from any sort of legal, legal entanglement, then the policies should reflect or mirror each other in terms of how we handle them. And so back to your question around sexual harassment, how we could have protected this woman is to automatically say to that employee, you know what, we, we believe you, we, we hear what you're saying. Um, we're not going to deal with this client any longer. No questions asked. Because can you imagine having to go back by the way, I, I don't know if she, she said, she didn't say that, but in some instances, those women are expected to go back to that same client to source funds, right? Yes, or to great. still go back, correct. So I, I think, again, I'm, I'm gonna sound like a broken record. I come back to the tone at the top. You know, what is acceptable within the organization? She had a boss who said to her, look, look, Go, you need to find, you need to meet your target no matter what. Where there could have been a very different conversation as to, oh my God, how on earth did this happen to you? Let us look into how we are sending you out there to meet your target and see if we can do things differently. If there's a different way that we can help you achieve your target. And also this person who has done this to you, there has to be some level of accountability. Because safety is not just about ensuring that um, the employees are not harmed. It's also about how they feel within the organization when they do their jobs every day. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I think, you know, that's what I'm expecting. You know, how do you ensure that when an employee goes out, whether you're a banker or someone in telco or whatever industry you're working in, that you feel safe because your policies reflect that safety, you, you know? so. <laughs> That's, that comes back to us. And I, I mean, I, I just want to share my story again. Um, I know I spoke about it earlier about, you know, even for a CEO, um, this issue of safety was one for me. You know, I've always felt like I've had to have a second, I've had to have a second person in the room whenever I'm having a meeting, no questions asked. And the one time I did not follow this rule that I've had for almost 20 years, uh, you know, I had a very senior uh, person in government try to assault me, you know, tried to kiss me, tried to pinch my butt. And I'm a CEO. My job is to make sure that my employees are protected. But you can imagine that for me, I was ashamed. I was horrified. I could not believe that someone would do that to me in my position, mm. but also felt that I didn't have an avenue to speak up about it because I was worried about my job. And that's, that's actually what really helped me understand that I needed to be a lot more assertive and aggressive in terms of what sort of culture that I would have in my organization going forward. So it comes back to that tone in the top. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. We had an amazing conversation. Thank you.
Have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day. African Women on Board remains passionate about amplifying African female voices, supporting African female empowerment, and helping to create a world in which African women and girls are given the tools and resources they need to fully realize their potential. If you'd like to collaborate or share your stories, please send an email to awb at africanwomenonboard.org. For more information, please visit our website on www.africanwomenonboard.org. You can also connect with us on social media, Instagram at awb.network, Twitter at awbafrica, LinkedIn at African Women On Board, Facebook African Women On Board. Thank you for listening. Have a lovely day.